The Enneagram, when it's used well, is simply a tool. It it doesn't have any power to transform our lives. We know that that's the gospel. We know that Jesus is, is the only one that we should be following. But hopefully it's a tool. And I, I really hope that as I use the Enneagram, that it allows others to extend compassion to others, but also themselves. Welcome to It's Not About the Money, a podcast in search of grounded fundraising. I'm Heather, and together with my co-host, Andy, we look beyond the quick tips and formulas. Join us as we explore the nuance and complexity of ministry fundraising. If you want to thrive in partner development, not just survive it, this is the place for you. Heather, there are so many different personality tests out there. Um, People can can pay for them. People can take them online for free. You can find out what your your Star Wars or Harry Potter, Myers-Briggs personality is. Um, what are some of the personality tests that you're familiar with? Yeah, you're right. There, there do seem to be quite a few out there, but I have been really blessed to engage in a few. One would be the Strengths Finder. Um, I worked with a gal that was really passionate about seeing people utilize their strengths. Um, that's one I really enjoyed getting to know. Also the five voices, which I think you're also familiar mm, with, Andy. Yeah, yeah, that's a new one to me that I really enjoy. Yeah. And then I haven't um, I haven't necessarily engaged the Enneagram as much directly in the professional space, although I feel like there's so many ways that you could do that. And I'm excited to see that more. Mm-hmm. But I think that those are probably the top three. The five voices, Strengths Finder, and Enneagram kind of stand out in my mind. Great. Uh, the Myers-Briggs is another one that I have spent some time with in the past. Um, a lot of people in my teams were really kind of interested and passionate about how that could work together to to make our teams understand each other better. Actually, yeah. I was just going to say, is the Myers-Briggs the, the piece that kind of helps you understand where you are on the scale of introversion, extroversion, judging, perceiving? Is yes. that Myers-Briggs? Okay. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm familiar with that as well. Yeah. Well, I think today we're jumping into, right from the beginning, the granddaddy of personality tests, the Enneagram. Uh, So many listeners will have heard of this before, like you said. Um, Some of you maybe have read books, and maybe you can even expertly navigate discussions and analysis. And probably you enjoy typecasting your friends. Um, Others, maybe all you know is that there are numbers involved. And perhaps you've taken an online test, but you aren't entirely sure what to make of the results. And I I would say some of you love getting into the weeds of self-discovery and really labeling and identifying your tendencies. Maybe it provides uh, some answers and illuminates why people are the way they are. And others of you are pretty sure this is all just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. (laughs) <laughs> it looks a, a little kooky with the numbers and this this star-like symbol. Yeah, so we are actually really excited to take a look at how the Enneagram can be very helpful, especially in this space of being equipped and going out and doing the work of fundraising. So today we have invited a very special guest on with us. We are so delighted to have Andrea with us. She herself has served overseas and has also worked stateside in preparing people for service and ministry. She has fundraised herself and has coached others in their fundraising. 
And she currently works in training and coaching specifically to women in leadership and also specifically around the Enneagram. And that does work itself out in corporations and in larger leadership teams, as well as individuals in more personal and individualized retreats. So Andrea, is there anything else you would want to tell us about yourself before we get started? No, thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm excited to dive in and just explore the Enneagram a little bit further. It's so good to have you, Andrea. Does what I said ring true? As someone who's gone a little deeper down the rabbit hole, um, what do people, what are some ideas that people have about the Enneagram? Andy, I think when you were talking, it was so true. There are people who just, I mean, go and dig so deep and you can get lost down this rabbit hole of the Enneagram there. It's so intricate as you go deeper and deeper. We are not going to do that today. So don't worry about that. But then there are also people who are really skeptical and like, oh, you know, this is probably made up or, or nobody knows me. People can't put me in a box type thing. So hopefully this discussion will help. But I tell people, even if you, if the Enneagram doesn't ring true, and this isn't something that you maybe want to use in your daily life, it's nice to have just an understanding of it because so many people do resonate with it and do use it. So it's nice just to have an understanding of people and the different ways that, um, you know, the, the nine dominant personality types that the Enneagram does, um, talk about. Sure. So Andrea, could you give us just a little bit of insight into how you first engaged the Enneagram or how you came to know about it? Yeah, I have always loved personality tests. And uh, among the ones that you listed, I'm very familiar with those, but my church used what's called the DISC test. And that was probably the first personality test that I really, um, like all my friends, we would talk about it. We kind of understood that, but it was very basic. And it's a great personality test to use because it's so, it's simple. And then I think I heard this weird word called the Enneagram one time, and I was kind of looking, looking into it. And I realized that the Enneagram actually helps explain the complexity of, of us as humans better, at, at least in my opinion. And it allows for movement. It allows for us to be in these times of growth and stress. And so I think it must have been around 2015-ish when I really kind of started understanding it more, um, and understanding really my unhealthy behaviors that I thought were healthy. Actually, I'm, I'm a helper and, um, and I tend to have a hard time setting boundaries with no, and the Enneagram has really shed light into the importance of me setting those healthy boundaries, saying no, so that I can actually be available and refreshed for the, the yeses that I need to say. Yeah, that is really cool, Andrea. So from our discussion so far, we know that it's it's something that gives insight into nine different, maybe core types. Mm-hmm. But for somebody that's joining us, that's maybe never heard of the Enneagram, what is the brief intro that you would want to give us on that and specifically how we can engage it as Christians? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, simply put, the Enneagram is a a personality typology that suggests nine dominant personality types, like 
Some simple definition. It is very similar to a lot of the tests that we've been talking about. It just suggests that there are nine instead of four or, you know, the, the different tests that have varying personality types. And, and really something else that I want people to understand is that Enneagram, it, it simply means it's Greek or it's, it comes from the Greek. It, Ennea is nine. Grandma is a written or like a diagram. So it just means a diagram with nine points. It looks crazy. Like Andy said earlier, it's this like star looking figure, but it really, it it really is just a nine pointed figure. And we will go into what all of that means in just a bit. Um, As Christians, I think we can be really leery of things, especially if they look funny or if there's like a bandwagon behind things. Christians often are like, oh, you know, it it automatically puts kind of those red flags up. And we should be very cautious in what we use and how we use it. But I would say the Enneagram, when it's used well, is simply a tool. It it doesn't have any power to transform our lives. We know that that's the gospel. We know that that Jesus is, is the only one um, that we should be following, but hopefully it's a tool. And I, I really hope that as I use the Enneagram, that it allows others to extend compassion to others, but also themselves. A lot of times we're taught, you know, that the certain behaviors we need to push aside. So for example, a woman who's maybe more assertive is maybe told growing up that she needs to be quieter and, you know, look, look more like a certain way. But I hope that the Enneagram really allows for compassion and for us to see people how they are, to recognize strengths, but to also recognize our unhealthy behaviors and that we're all on this this journey and this process. Yeah. Going back to something that you had previously said, I just wanted to point out something I really appreciate about the Enneagram is that it's not static and it doesn't seem to be putting you in a box Mm -hmm. in a way that maybe some other personality inventories do right where they, they seem to be limiting and and defining in a way that it seems like the Enneagram, like you said, there's movement and there's a push towards health and, you know, looking back at what, what isn't healthy and and moving away from things. So, yeah, I think that's a really neat element to this tool specifically. Absolutely. And I, I hope that that's how people use it. I know you can look online or on social media and there's so many memes or, you know, people reinforcing harmful or hurtful stereotypes. Um, but another thing that I, I really enjoy about the Enneagram when it's used well, it's really about our motivations and not our behaviors. We can have any behavior any of us can. For example, we can all be manipulative, but it's the reason behind the manipulation. Are we looking for love? Are we looking for acceptance? Are we looking to just make peace or to, to regain control? There, That's what the Enneagram speaks to, not necessarily our behaviors. Okay. So, Andrea, I have a question here that some of our listeners uh, may be spinning around in their heads, but what do you say to people who say the Enneagram isn't biblical? Yeah, that is a great question, and it comes up from time to time. I would say, yes, the history of the Enneagram, it's an ancient tool, and um, we don't exactly 
know where it came from. So there's a little bit of a sorted past. However, the Enneagram that we use today is really an adaptation that um, psychologists in the 60s took, and they really used their understanding and their knowledge, their expertise on um, human behavior through observation. And so that's the Enneagram that we use today. And I would tell Christians, regardless of what we're using, we should be looking at it through a lens, through a biblical lens, going back to the word. What does Jesus say? What does God say about these things? Um, and if you're not comfortable, that is completely, completely fine. However, a lot of people have found this so helpful. And I think it's good for us to just have an understanding um, just as we're relating to other people. Yeah. And there's no, there's no record of Jesus taking a personality test. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we have to kind of look outside of the Bible for some of this stuff. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that is also where the Holy spirit comes in, right? Like, you know, we, we, um, Often things that are happening are not, there's not a direct answer in the Bible for them. But if, if you just have a spirit like, oh, this doesn't seem right, this doesn't feel right, you know, that trust those leadings and those promptings from the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's helpful. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, and we're actually going to do this, this conversation in two parts because there's so much to cover here. But why don't you, as we kind of wrap up this episode, why don't you give us just a brief explanation about the different parts of the Enneagram and maybe just a a description of some of the common terms? Absolutely. It does, like you say, it looks like this really strange figure, but I promise it makes sense. And actually, when you understand the parts, it actually helps just the whole system makes sense. So like I said, Enneagram just means nine, a nine-sided figure or nine-pointed diagram in our in our um, situation. So there's types, you'll hear this word, and there are nine types. I prefer to use the numbers because they aren't linked to anything. We're not all trying to get to a certain type. There's not one that's better than the others. And it's just simply a way to distinguish among them. And there's nine of them. There's also what's called wings. So if you look at the diagram, your dominant type, the wings are going to be the two types adjacent to your type. So for example, I'm a two. My wings are a one and a three, the two types right beside me. Um, And the way I tell people to think about wings is like seasoning. So think of one like salt and one as pepper. So we tend to use one seasoning over the other. Maybe you use more salt or more pepper, or maybe you don't use one of those, or maybe you don't use either. So with wings, you might pull from both of those types. You might only pull from one. You might pull from neither. But really what wings do is they add a complexity to to us as people. I tell people we are complex, dynamic people. We cannot be put into a box and actually... We have all of the types within us, but the wings just kind of pull some extra um, traits that maybe don't come just naturally to our type by itself. There's also what's called lines and arrows. So when you look at the Enneagram, you notice that the numbers are connected and these aren't like mathematical terms because they're actually rays. But if you look, if you start at your dominant type, so I'll just use mine as an example. 
um, there's an arrow touching the two. And if I follow that line down, it goes to a four. And that is called the line of integration or the line of growth, the movement of growth. So when I am in seasons of growth, I tend to look like a healthy four, which is helpful for me because as a two, I tend to put feelers out and how's everyone else doing and putting my own needs and feelings aside. When I'm able to kind of move toward that four, I'm able to recognize my own feelings, my own wants, and just be in a healthier place of growth for me personally and not as worried about, is everyone else okay and taken care of? And if you're having trouble visualizing this image in your head right now, feel free to pause the podcast and Google (laughs) Enneagram image, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Yep. And all of them are not going to have the arrows. So for, for my business, it's, you know, it's more of like a take on it, but if you find a true image that has the arrows, this does make more sense, but yes, absolutely. Great point. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, But there's actually two points on this move to a four. So I can pull when I'm, when I'm in the season of growth, I can pull from that high side of a four. However, I can also pull and look like an unhealthy four And this is called the security point. And only people who are closest to me are ever going to see this side of me. But this would be when I'm just super in my emotions and like very almost unconsolable, you know, just really upset, maybe even going into more of a depressed state. Um, So that's called the security point. Every, Every type has this with that move. And then if we like, if we go back to my two and we follow the arrow, um, it's going to go to an eight. So when I, and this is called the line of disintegration or the movement of stress. And it sounds really, really negative, but I have found that this is where personally the most growth has happened for me. So when I'm in a season of stress or just stressed out, I tend to look like an eight and initially I might pull from and look like an unhealthy eight and be really aggressive and just take, take hold of everything and just, nope, I'm going to do this myself. You know, everyone else get out of the way. I'm just going to do this. But as I recognize that move, I can actually look like a healthy eight and be more assertive where maybe I wouldn't normally speak up. I can use my voice And I can actually delegate. Eights are really great at delegating. So I can delegate instead of feeling like I need to grasp a hold of everything. Can lead from a place of just, okay, we got to do this. This is how we're going to do it. But instead of me feeling like I have to take control, I'm able to just delegate and trust that everyone else is going to do what they need to do. And I can do what I need to do. So those are the lines. I know that that was probably pretty confusing. And I only did the twos, but if you look at it, you can kind of see that pattern for all the types. And then there's also what's called intelligence centers. And these are triads. There are so many triads with the the Enneagram, but these are the three main ones. So eight, nine, and one are in the um, gut triad. So they make decisions based on gut feelings. Um, twos, threes, and fours there are in our heart or our feeling um, triad. And then five, six, and sevens are in our head. They are our thinkers. So those are just kind of some basic terms for the Enneagram. It's hard, it's hard um to just say this. I know people are listening, just audio. 
Um, and when I do this presentation, I've got slides and, and it makes more sense. But hopefully that does just explain, you know, there's there's really nothing crazy about this system. It just all kind of connects and fits together. And, and really, I think it's a beautiful picture to show how we all work together and how we pull from all of these types. Yeah, because, you know, as as you're talking, Andrea, I'm just really aware that if you stripped away the structure that the tool provides in saying it's mm-hmm. nine types and it's called the Enneagram and things like that, really, we're just talking about an awareness and a mindfulness of different behaviors that you're doing and maybe why you're doing them, how they interact with others that have different behaviors. So I think it can just be really helpful to remember that that when we say, let's talk about the Enneagram, we're really just talking about like, hey, let's talk about human behavior, very real ways that we engage the world and engage each other. Yeah. And let's bring in an awareness, um, a self-awareness and a mindfulness to the things that we do and why. Yeah. And I think when we do that, we are able to see, okay, I have these unhealthy behaviors and so does that person. And it allows us to extend that grace to other people when maybe they react in a way that is hurtful or harmful to understand that, that we all have these tendencies and, you know, they, they might be in an intense season of stress or overwhelm or grief. You know, we don't know what everyone's going through and just understanding these movements has been really helpful for me to be like, you know, I I really don't know what they're going through and I don't know where this reaction is coming through from. And most of the time it has nothing to do with us. What are some ways that people can kind of misuse it without getting too deep into it? Because I've even experienced this, like my tendency to say, well, I'm a seven. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into painful things. So I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a great example right there. Just like, using it as an excuse. And I tell people the Enneagram is not a a shield or a sword. So don't use it as a protection. Like, oh, well, I mean, that's just, you know, that's not who I am. That's not my personality. I can't do that. A lot of times that's used for people who just say it like it is, or, you know, they speak truth, but it's not done in love. Um, And that really is when it can become a sword too, or be like, oh, well, you're a seven. So of course you would act this way or that way. I just want people to not use it as a a tool for stereotyping others. Just because I know your type doesn't mean I know you. You are a person who has experiences. You have experienced trauma. You have experienced joy. And you have worked in different realms that have really added to your personality. So I would tell people, don't, don't think that you are defined by your number, but also don't try to define other people. Um, I would never want someone to to lead a conversation with, oh, what's your Enneagram type? Because then I just feel like all you can know are the stereotypes. So get to know me as a person, but it can be really helpful on a team to understand why your teammates react to situations in certain ways, or maybe why they withdraw in certain circumstances. I know that we're going to get into this on the next episode, but I guess just to set us up for that you know, something I'm really excited for us to explore is that when it, when it comes to fundraising, you know, we feel very strongly that there's not just one like formula or one type of person that does it well. We all, we all have ways that um, God comes through in the way he's designed us and the way we engage the world um, to give himself glory and to 
to work for our good. And so I think it's just really cool to be able to see and honor the different ways that people put God's glory on display in the way they engage and move towards other people. So like I said, I know in this episode, we've really just been looking at the tool of the Enneagram. And then in our next episode, we're going to pivot and look at how we each show up and can understand ourselves better in that tool and then understand the way we approach fundraising in light of this tool. Yeah. And real quick, as we end here, Andrea, uh, what are some resources that you might point people to if this is the first time they're hearing about it or they really haven't dabbled in it yet? I would suggest starting um, with the book, The Road Back to You. And that was written by Ian Cron, who is probably one of the, if not the best known teacher of the Enneagram. He has a podcast. He, He does a really great job of pulling in biblical truth and just really outlining each type well. I think his book is just kind of the go-to. If you if you are just getting started, that's a great place to start. And also, I would suggest your Enneagram coach just online or even social media. That's actually who I'm certified through. So it's Jeff and Beth McCord, and he was a pastor for many, many years, and they use the Enneagram in their church. And they have a podcast, but they speak um, a lot to people who have doubts or who think that maybe this isn't um, a tool that we should be using in churches. And they explain how it's been helpful in their ministry and why they use it. And they they really do a great job too of just breaking down the types and, and doing it in such a way that it's understandable. Um, so those would be probably two places that I would just recommend checking out first. They have a lot of great resources on on both of their websites. They both have podcasts and books. So great places to start. Wonderful. Andrea, thank you so much for those recommendations. We are really looking forward to continuing this conversation and taking this tool and applying it specifically to, to the fundraising realm. So thank you for your time. And we look forward to talking more. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. It's Not About the Money is presented by Provisio Fundraising Solutions. Provisio equips support-based workers with flexible training, practical resources, and one-on-one coaching. Find out more at provisiofundraising.com.